Hey Lakeshore family, have you ever watched that television show called Cold Case? If you haven't, let me just give you the definition of what a cold case is. It's as follows. An unsolved criminal investigation which remains open pending the discovery of new evidence. You know, and I think it was October of 2019, a 52-year-old cold case was finally solved. That's the oldest on record. Think about that. 52 years it took to solve this cold case. It was a murder. And how they were able to solve this, if you will, was they were able to put together or get the help of some DNA and then a family tree, and they were able to solve uh, the case. You know, the book of Obadiah, which is where we're going to be at today as a church family, it reassures us, it reassures the believer that God never relegates unresolved injustices to a shelf of cold cases. That is so helpful. The book of Obadiah is proof positive that God is keenly aware of Edom's cruelty against Judah. You're going to hear a lot about uh, Judah and also Edom. But rest assured of this, my friends, that God is also aware of any nation, any government, any people who seek to bring harm to any follower of God, whether that's singular or plural. You know, beloved, we need to understand something that you and I are not a cold case. Think about that definition. We're not a cold case. God is not waiting for more evidence before he brings forth judgment, right? No human being is ever going to be able to get over on God, even if the person thinks they're getting over on God or thinks that they've created the or been able to, to, to do the perfect uh, crime, uh, eventually they're going to be found out no matter how long uh, it takes uh, in the making. Luke 8, 17 really illuminates that point as it says this, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Let me give you some context about the book of Obadiah. Well, first of all, it is the shortest of all the books in the Old Testament. That's interesting. Another thing that, that's interesting is uh, Obadiah is likely a contemporary of a Jeremiah. Interesting. Now, the book is obviously written by Obadiah. And remember, Obadiah is a prophet. As I've shared with you many a times, a prophet's job, the role and function of a prophet is to be one who speaks on behalf of the Lord. We see that in verse 1 where Obadiah literally says, thus says the Lord God. Notice he didn't say thus says Obadiah. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord. He has a word from God and he pronounces it. You're going to notice something in the text here that this is a, there's a lot of family drama, a lot of family conflict uh, in this short uh, little book here. Uh, if, in more modern times, uh, maybe think about the Hatfield and McCoys, right? A, a lot of drama going on. Now this drama and these challenges, these conflicts date all the way back to the twins that were in Rebecca's womb. Remember <laughs> Jacob and Esau, where well, you're gonna see their names all over the place. This is important because you're gonna see in the text that Edom, or Edom, is kin to Esau, and the people of Judah 
were the descendants of Jacob. Okay, so you'll see those names mixed up interchangeably. It, it can be a bit confusing, okay? The names can be a bit confusing. However, I'm gonna do my best uh, on this teaching to help us move through the text and do the best I can to explain it for you. Now, the main idea or the big idea of the entire book of Obadiah is simply this. It's God's judgment on Edom because of their abuse toward Judah. That's the main idea. So with that in view, turn to the book of Obadiah as I prepare to read to you the first 14 verses. Now, as you're heading over there, the first 14 verses, they reveal what the nation of Edom has done. Again, what did they do wrong? It's going to reveal that for us. And then what did they, we know we're going to find out what they did and specifically what they did to abuse Judah. Now, Obadiah is then going to predict for us, remember, he's a prophet, he's going to predict what will happen to Judah and why this is going to happen to Judah. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You will live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set amongst the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by the night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have been driven to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O oh, Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence you have done to your brother Jacob, shall, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So reads God's holy and inerrant word this morning. In verses 1 through 14, we see that Edom 
you will be humbled. They certainly are. But I want us to just take a look at how they're being humbled or what's going to happen to Edom. There's a lot of things happening, probably 10, 12 things easily here, but let's look at a few. In verse two, it says, it says, behold, remember, this is Obadiah pronouncing judgment. He's telling them what's going to happen. He's predicting these things. He's saying, behold, I will make you small. God will make you small. At the end of verse two, he says, they're gonna be, they're gonna be despised. In verse three, we see that they're gonna be deceived. Why are they deceived? Verse three says, the pride, of, the pride of your heart, your pride has deceived you. In the end of verse three, we see that they're gonna, bring, they're gonna be brought down to the ground. All the way to verse six, we see they're gonna be pillaged. In verse seven, we see they're gonna be deceived. We're gonna see their, that their enemies are, actually friends of theirs are gonna prevail against them. We see that their friends, that they think are friends, are going to set a trap. Uh, we see in verse 8 that the Lord is going to dis destroy the wise men out of Edom. And then in verse 9, we see they're going to be cut off by slaughter. Look, those are a lot of things that are going to happen and none of them good. The judgment of God is coming down on Edom. And we learned why, because they were oppressing God's people. They were oppressing Judah. They were, they were doing this and gloating and making a mockery. And it was just really, really ugly. You know, what's interesting, I found interesting in verse seven is, it says that in verse seven, let me just read it to you. It says, all your allies, they have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. Brothers and sisters, think about what's happening here. They're under some sort of a peace treaty. And they actually have a lot of confidence in this peace treaty. They found security and comfort and confidence in this peace treaty. But there would be no peace. You know, a peace treaty is only worth the person uh, who signs it, right? Well... When the Lord wants a peace treaty to be done with, <laughs> it's going to be done with, right? So the Lord doesn't want this peace treaty now, right? So he's going to destroy them, if you will. But they thought they were going to have peace. <laughs> the Lord will let us know <laughs> when we'll have peace, and they certainly find that out in short order. So why did this happen to Edom? I mean, why is God bringing calamity and destruction to these people? Well, Scripture, again, gives us more clarity. And we look at verse 3 again. It would be applicable here. It says, The pride of your hearts have deceived you. This is happening to Edom because of their pride, okay? These are our people who lived in the clefts of the rocks. These are people that were, you know, we think of Petra, right? They're on that rock and they think they're secure. As a matter of fact, this place was known as being a place that was so secure that people would literally take their valuables or their currency, whatever it was during that time, and they would hide them in the rocks up there. It was a secure place and they felt secure, like they were safe, but they weren't. They had so much pride that their faith and their hope was in things and not in God. Again, look at verse 3 and 4. I think it's important. The pride of your hearts have deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Remember, they're arrogant, right? They don't think anybody can bring them down to the ground, right? 
then it says, though you soar aloft like the eagle. Remember, they're high up in that, in that mountain, if you will. Uh, though your nest is set amongst the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. In other words, it doesn't matter how high you are or how safe you think you are. If the Lord wants to take you down, he's going to take you down. And that's what this means. But I also, as we're asking the question, why did this happen to Edom? A key verse in Obadiah is in verse 10, and it also answers that question. Why did this happen to Edom? Let's read that. It says, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. That's why. Because of the violence. Because you've been oppressing your brother Jacob. Okay, so that's Judah. Remember I told you, Jacob, Judah, same thing. Okay, that's what that means. So this is happening to you because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. And look what it says. Shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. That's not good news. You never want that to be said of you. But again, why did this happen to Edom? Another descriptor would be in verse 11. It says, on that day, you stood aloof and what does that mean? It, it, it's talking about, it's in, and again, verse 11, on that day you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and fair, foreigners entered his gates, gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. In other words, they sat, they sat by and watched. They watched them be plundered. They, they, they didn't lift their fingers. So not only, they watched it. They, they didn't help. And then they mocked them and laughed at them, okay? So he said, you stood aloof. This is happening to you because you just stood there and watched somebody be taken advantage of. It's bad enough that you take advantage, but now you're watching people take advantage of them. It's kind of like kicking someone when they're down, if you will. That's what's in, in play here. In other words, you watched Judah, your brother, be taken advantage of. You watched them be pulverized. But look at verse 12, another key verse. And again, why this happened to Edom. But do not gloat. Do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Remember, they got plundered. And he says, you were gloating over their misfortune. And then this is parallelism. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. So again, it's clear. You know, you're boasting. They're in a really bad way, and they have misfortune, and here you are. You are gloating over them. This is just bad, and this is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why this is happening to Edom. You may have noticed when you're watching sports that when an athlete does something good, oftentimes they start celebrating. And sometimes that celebration starts leading into taunting or, uh, you know, celebrating maybe a little bit too much. Sometimes it can go a bit too far. It's not helpful for Christians to taunt or mock anyone. I would say according to the text here, which would be applicable to us, we may not be Judah, but we can be a Judah type when we are gloating over people in their time of need, no matter what we think of them, right? So Christians, it's not good. It's not helpful. It's not godly to be taunting. We need to be a people that stop ta ta taunting, right? We have to be a people also, now think about this. We have to be a people that stop asking the question, you know, hey, when is the world going to get theirs? Or the people that oppress us, 
We don't ask that question, when is the world gonna get theirs? What we have to do, here's the better position. Here's God's way. Trust that God is gonna make the situation right. Trust that God will handle it on our behalf. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, it might you might think that God is taking too long, but he really isn't. There's reasons why God does what he does. There's reason why God sits in the heavens and does all that he pleases. He has a reason for it. He is a sovereign God. But some of you might be asking the question, but pastor, what about these types of people? And these types of people would be the people that, that legitimately have their feet on your neck, metaphorically. Uh, what about those? Can I taunt those, the ones that have their feet on my neck? Well, let's do this. Let's take a look at scripture. I'm actually gonna give you three verses and then you are gonna come up with the answer to that question. Again, is it okay uh, to taunt those or gloat over those uh, who have their feet on our necks? Let's look at 628, Luke 628. Yeah, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. I don't like that verse so much. But notice this in 628. Notice it's, it's pray for them, not, yeah, they had it coming. I mean, think about what God is asking us to do. I mean, you got to be transformed to pull this off, right? What about Matthew 5, 44? It says this, but I say to you, oh gosh, this is a hard one. Love your enemies. Oh, love your enemies. Here, it gets harder. And pray for those who persecute you. Has anybody been persecuting you this week? Wow, this is what God calls us to do, commands us to do. What about Galatians 6.10? Therefore, as we have opportunity, if we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So that's our answer. It's difficult. To deal with uh, sometimes, not always, but that's what God is asking us to do. You know, sometimes Christians forget to do good and to be good uh, to one another. I know that I am guilty of that. Sometimes we don't talk to each other, we talk about each other. Maybe instead of talking about each other, maybe we should commit to praying more for one another. Is there anybody out there that's a bit weary? You know, kind of side note, um, you know, Josh and I are doing the video here in my living room and he just sensed that Charlie had a, had a bad week and he said, you know, let me pray for you. And he did. He just took the time because he cares about me and he cares about the bride just to pray for me. And I, I tell you, I, I feel good. I feel better. I don't feel like I'm at the top of the mountain, but I certainly feel better. And I was grateful for that. So he was sensitive to that. He saw that I was a bit weary and he, and he prayed for me. So we need to be a people that, 
instead of talking at each other or talking about each other, we need to pray for each other and pray more for one another, especially when we're weary. How do you know someone's weary? Let's ask them. Maybe be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as Josh Jimenez was a few minutes ago. Is there anybody out there right now saying, man, I'm a bit weary. I wish you'd pray for me. Well, let it be known and tell somebody. Let us have that privilege of praying for you. Pastor Larry said uh, in the announcements that we're going to have prayer night this, uh, the first Wednesday of the month at 7 p.m. Can't wait to see you. I will certainly be there because I need prayer. You know, in verses 15 through 21, we're going to see something that Edom will be no match for the day of the Lord. And that's an understatement. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. It says, for the day of the Lord is near upon all, all the nations. Let me say that again. This is for every nation. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Okay. As you have done it shall be done to you. That's for all the nations, by the way. Your deeds shall return on your own head. Verse 16, for you, for as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall, all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. Wow. They will be as they've never been we don't see the, these are, we're talking about the people in Edom, right? They're the Edomites. We don't see them anywhere. They are completely destroyed like they have never been. They are wiped out literally because of this. I mean, think about that. God can wipe you out. He just wiped out a nation, if you will. But it's interesting as we look at verses, you know, 15 and 16, we see this, they have drunk on the holy mountain. What's, what's God talking about? What is, what's the message that Obadiah is trying to bring forth here? He was saying, look, on that holy mountain, you were acting like barbarians, drinking like fools, reckless, lawless deeds were taking place. And he says, you're going to drink. You're going to drink. You're going to drink what I want you to drink. And he's talking about that they will drink the cup of God's wrath. This ain't good. So Obadiah is warning, he's bringing warning to these people that the day of God's reckoning is near. He's saying, I'm warning you. The day of God's reckoning is near. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if the day of the Lord's reckoning is near to us in the United States of America. Only the Lord knows. So Obadiah warns that God, the day of God's reckoning is near. And he also is warning that he will, in fact, repay Edom for mistreating Judah. They're going to pay for what they have done. You see, all nations, now I want to talk about all nations. Judah would be applicable here. But all nations who oppose God will face God's retribution. They're going to face justice. He's going to make them pay. Justice is coming. It's not a matter of when, if, it's a matter of when. It's coming down. God will. He will drop the hammer. His wrath will engulf nations. He promises us that is going to happen. But he says, I don't want you to gloat about it. It's not what I want you to do. Let me handle the business. And we have business to handle too, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what about uh, 
you know, Isaiah 5, 20. It says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You know, these folks here, they were calling evil good. And, and, and God is saying, no. And, and even though it looks like they've been getting away with it for a season, seasons change. Justice is coming. Do you see that theme running through the book? You know, sometimes all of us, we look around and we wonder. I mean, I, I do this. I just wonder. It's like, God, I, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Now, I know that he is. But I just wonder sometimes, like, God, do you see this? I mean, I live in California. There's crazy stuff happening here. It's crazy. I just wonder sometimes, is God seeing what I'm seeing? We may also wonder at times, I've been guilty of this, is, Lord, is the world just like careening out of control? I mean, Lord, is this, is this out of control? But then, of course, I'm often reminded of Scripture. I'm often reminded that I need to take, take a, a deep breath and just be reminded of what I know to be true, that God is sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over the coronavirus. He's sovereign over elections. He's sovereign over some of us that are being mistreated and some of our missionaries who are paying the ultimate price for their faith in Christ. I mean, think about our missionaries right now. I mean, I know that we have some uh, things that, that we do because of all the things that are going, uh, uh, going on in our country. But think about our missionaries. Oh, goodness gracious, think about our missionaries. You know, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. They're going to need our prayers. We've got to be reaching out and letting them know that we love them, right? It's not out of control. It's just everything is, it's not only is it not moving, it's even though it, let me say it this way. Not only is it not out of control, it's actually moving with perfect precision. Perfect precision. It just doesn't always seem like it because we have an expectation. There's things that we would do or we would do them differently. If we admitted it, that's what we'd be thinking, but we would never really want to admit that because we do trust God, but we have seasons and we have times where we, we just don't always think these things through. You know, it may not, it, it may feel at times like our Lord is on the sidelines. It might feel at times like He's not doing anything. He's, he's checked out, but he's not. He's not on the sidelines. He's in the game. He's totally in. And we need to know that because that's what Scripture teaches. Well, we're getting to that part of the text where we, fight, we finally start getting some really good news, right? We see that in verses 17 and 18. You know, the previous verses were about judgment and retribution and God's judgment and, and, and the, the wrath coming down on, on people uh, in this context, at Edom, if you will. They're verses about judgment. But in uh, verses 17 and 18, you know, Spurgeon said something so profound. He says, we see that the Lord comes back to bless his friends. And that is so true and so well said. But let me read to you 17 and 18 so we can get a gist of of uh, this good news. It says, but in, in Mount Zion, 
there will be those who escape it. That they, I'm sorry, but in Mount Zion, there, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob, that's Judah, shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob, again, that's Judah, shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph, a flame. And the house of Esau, again, that's Edom, stubble, they shall burn. They shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, which is Edom, for the Lord has spoken. How precious are those verses in 17 and 18. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will bring judgment. It will bring judgment. Judgment to God's enemies. But I got good news for you. If you're in Christ, it's going to bring deliverance. Deliverance, not judgment, deliverance. Praise the Lord for those of us who are redeemed, for those of us who have repented and placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We'll spend eternity with him. But all people must prepare for the day of the Lord. We need to be a people as Christians that are found ready. We need to be found ready when he does return. Remember this, found people find people. It's about evangelism, isn't it? You know, the world that we do live in now it's different. You know, the world we're living in now is different than any, any other time in history that I remember and probably the same for you. But even in this different world, this unique world where things are constantly changing, God is still saving souls. Let me say that again. Even in this world in which we live, God is still saving souls. He's still doing what he said he was going to do in drawing men unto himself. You know, a few weeks ago, I had the great privilege of bringing an 83-year-old man to a saving faith. I know that God did that, that we are saved by grace, lest no man should boast. But God saved this man, and he allowed me to play a part in it. If that wasn't sweet enough, I was able to baptize this 83-year-old man in my pool. We don't have a baptismal, but we got a pool, right? You know, as I think about that baptism, it was, if I can be honest with you, extra special. You see, this man had had a stroke. And because he had a stroke, his body didn't work like it used to. And as you walk into our pool, you have to go down some steps. And it's not an easy pool to get into. But he was committed. It wasn't easy. And he got into my pool. In order to do that, he had to hold on to me tightly. I felt his whole body come uh, on me as I was putting him down into the pool. It was so precious how he trusted me. I mean, literally, you know, with his life. It wasn't easy but he did it. He wanted to be obedient to what his Lord said. He was faithful. At 83 years old, God drew him to himself. You know something that was really extra special? His wife, his precious wife had been praying for his salvation for over 40 years. God saved him. 
How awesome is that? Brothers and sisters, <laughs> I should probably ask, have you been baptized? Have you been obedient to what God's word says? If you haven't, you need to be baptized. Are you ministering to somebody right now who maybe you're discipling them or you're walking them through the things of the Lord and you got a visit scheduled with somebody? Um, are they baptized? Start asking those questions. You can use my pool. I'd be glad to let you use it. You know, I was thinking, has anybody stopped you from sharing the gospel over the last three, four, five, six, or seven months? How about, has anybody stopped you from discipling somebody, maybe being in your word or uh, praying uh, with one another? Has that, have you been stopped? I, I haven't been. It's been so cool and so, I mean, it's been different, but I'm so grateful for that. I haven't been stopped. I, I'm still able to be faithful. Sometimes I have to get creative and I think you're probably doing the same thing, but I haven't been stopped, you know? I know things are a bit weird these days, a little goofy, but it's not, maybe it's not as easy as it used to be. You know, we got to make some adjustments. However, this might be the season where, you know, rather than digging up the stump, we just have to go around the stump. We could still be faithful when we go around uh, the stump. Here's what we know for sure that no matter what's going on in our lives, whether we got to go around the stump or dig up the stump metaphorically, you know, God's going to help us. You know, we know this, that as we go back to the Edomites, it's sad uh, what happened to them. These are a people that found themselves uh, placing their trust and their confidence in literally the things of this world. They were secure in things that really weren't secure. Not only that, because they placed their security in the wrong places, they became a prideful people. They even uh, made the claim that they no longer needed uh, God. You know, it's best said this way, I think, they were secure until they weren't. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? They were secure until they weren't. Things change and things change fast, doesn't it? Especially with, these, with this uh, time in history talking about Edom. Sometimes I wonder, and probably like you, are we in the last days? I don't know. Nobody knows the day. No one knows the hour. And we have opinions all over the place. And you don't need another one. But I would definitely say this, and you would agree with it. There's a lot going on. But... If it's a lot going on, that means there's a lot of action, right? There should be a lot of action. Are you getting in on the action? <laughs> what type of action are you getting in on? Are you getting in on the gospel action? Discipleship action? Are you getting in the action where you're loving your neighbor? Uh, are you taking risks for the things of the Lord? Who are you getting to know during these times? There's a lot of people that are hurting right now. And maybe you're one of them. And maybe we need to surround you. But we got to get in on the action. We got to get in on the gospel action. We got to get in on the obedience action. We got to be the men and women that God has called us to be during this season or the next season because we're going to be we're going to be in this season for a while it looks like, you know, whatever that means. But we got to be faithful. We got to get in, you know, on the action. But one day our precious Lord will in fact come back for his church. He will come back. And when he does, wow. What a day that's going to be. For the Christian, it's going to be the day of salvation. We're going to be reminded that God has made a way. Uh, Jesus made a way when there was no way. That he paid the sin price. That, that Jesus Christ was slaughtered for our iniquities. He did that for us. He took our sins upon himself. You know, you and I should have been on that tree. But guess what? He took our place. 
We're the ones that put him there. He was the sinless one. But we put him on that tree and he willingly went. God's judgment for mankind is poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. Period. Period. But be confident of this, that God will bring justice to those who target the innocent. That could be acts of terrorism. That could be uh, a lot of different things. It could be uh, for those who target our young people for abortions. It could be for racial injustice. It could be for our missionaries who are facing oppression. You know, things are changing in this world. But here's what we need to know, that justice will be served. We see that throughout this letter, that God is going to handle it. Justice is going to be served. Hey, just remember this. If you have not, N-O-T, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be judged by the righteous judge who will drop the hammer of justice and pass sentence. That's important to know. The sentence that he will bring down, the verdict that he will give will be final. There's no appeals. The sentence that one gets for not trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior, the sentence is they'll spend eternity in hell. So today, if you are hearing this message and you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never repented of your sins and placed your faith in him, today I urge you to do so. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. And the Lord says, all those who place their faith and their trust in me, he will redeem. All those who repent of their sins, he will redeem. I think I'll close with one of my favorite verses. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes upon that son shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There it is, the gospel in miniature. God bless you, church. I love you.